All right, welcome back to another episode of Time Out with the Sports Doctor podcast. Hey, glad to have you back for another week. And I have another very exciting guest for you, uh, Dr. Victor Kidd. Uh, Dr. Kidd is a sports mental health consultant. He's actually a consultant for the NBA. Um, He's a psychotherapist and he is the CEO and founder of Kidd Wellness uh, Solutions and Consulting LLC. And we'll talk about that all shortly. Hey, but welcome to the podcast. Are you interested in real estate? Are you tired of hearing about all the money that your friends and colleagues are making from their investments, but you don't know where to start? Don't worry, I got you. We are teaming up with Dr. Ronnie Shalev and Shawin Properties to equip you with the tools you need to feel empowered about your investments. So how do you get involved? Do these three things. First, go to my website at drderickthesportsdoctor.com and click on the sponsor link for Shawin Properties. This will give you access to a free webinar as well as the ability to have a discovery call with Dr. Ronnie Shalev. Also follow her on social media and stay tuned for more helpful tips coming at you on Money Mondays. Now back to the episode. Thank you, man. Thank you. Thank you. I'm glad to be here and uh, glad to you know, be able to be recorded and have things going, you know, so people can always revisit it and hear some some good words. Absolutely. So yeah. I want to give you a shout out, number one, because I mentioned when I met you, but, you know, being an orthopedic surgeon, I go to a lot of uh, medical conferences. And mm-hmm. you know, we talk about mental health in the hospital. We talk about mental health all over. But the panel that you hosted Mm-hmm. was, you know, to me, the most real discussion around mental health that I've heard, especially coming from a group of Black men. So, you know, salute you for that. Um, and it was a very, you know, especially being talking to athletes and talking to yeah. young Black men about mental health. I thought that was awesome. Right, right. Sweet, sweet. Yeah, man, it was a, it was a good uh, opportunity. I mean, I spent a lot of time moderating as an academic. So, okay. so I remember attendee at a conference, she walked up to him. She said, you did a really good job moderating. She was like, how did you kind of like tie everybody in? And I said, well, two things that academic knows how to do is present research and moderate a panel. So, <laughs> um, so, and it's natural, you know, I just have a natural, uh, you know, gift of gab, I guess you can say. So mm-hmm. that has been uh, something that has been a, a, a big strength of mine. And, and it came together. It was a very thought provocative, I hope, uh, panel. Uh, oh, absolutely. So, so, yeah. Yeah. All right. So let's talk about, you know, how do you go from, well, this is going to be uh, the whole thing, but <laughs> you started off as a social worker, right? Yeah. Yeah. I started yeah, off so mm-hmm. from the social work, social working to the MBA, right? That's yeah. not everybody's normal path. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It, it was, uh, it was interesting, man. I had some real uh, guardian angels that kind of got me through it, but yeah, I, I finished playing ball at Virginia state in 2013 and I really didn't know what I was going to necessarily do next. Um, and I got an opportunity. I met a lady, a random lady in the star in the Starbucks and she happened to be the director of the PhD program at Howard University School of Social Work. And she gave me her card. She said, well, you know, you never told me what you was going to do once you finish at Virginia State, but here is um, you know, my card. And if you ever need anything. So fast forward, reach out to her. I get into the School of Social Work. 
at Howard University. And then at the time, I didn't know I could be trained as a clinician. I didn't know that was something that, you know, I was kind of naive, you know, the regular CPS, kick your door down, take your kids type of, you know, narrative. <laughs> yeah. And so while I was there, um, I, t I let them know, like, I really wanted to learn how to become a clinician. And so I started getting training. Shout out to my man, Dr. Robert Evans, who was one of my very first uh, clinical uh, supervisors early on in my internship process. And man, yeah, I just... I thought I was going to be working at the time, you know, uh, the new Jim Crow was hot. I was working with guys coming home from jail. I was working with guys incarcerated. So I thought that's what I was going to be doing. And I had a mentor, a guy named Dr. Jerry Brown, uh, who is an anthropologist. And he was like, you know, you should go and get your PhD. You're kind of a sharp brother. And so at the time, I was just like, you know, I'm going to be a clinician. And I was training kids and I was coaching high school football at the time. Which high school? I was coaching at Coolidge, and at that time I was coaching Coolidge Forge, at Forgeville. Yeah, so hold on, whoa, whoa, whoa. when were you at Coolidge High School? I was at Coolidge High School under Natalie Randolph in 2013, 14. Yeah. So Natalie Randolph came. She was the first female yep. high school coach in DC, right? Yeah. So I was did my residency training. This is all unscripted. I did my residency training at Howard University in orthopedics. The school oh, wow. I covered, man, the school I covered was Coolidge High School. Oh, wow. Yeah. So yeah. Jason, I think Jason, I can't remember his name, but Jason was the coach. Um, Jason, Lane, Jason Lane was Jason the Lane coach. was the coach. Yeah. So I graduated in 2012. I just from, missed it. Yeah. So and Jason Lane, Valentine, time, right? I was there. He was at, um, he went to Anacostia at that point. Okay. And Danita Valentine was the athletic trainer? I think, yeah, yes. I think so. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Okay. Yep. So Coolidge High School, the Colts. Shout out to the Colts. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So um, I did that and uh mentor of mine was like, you know, I think you should try to merge sport and, you know, your clinical background and stuff. So I got my PhD from the University of South Carolina in sport and entertainment management. Where I, where I researched like different challenges athletes face with retirement and their playing experience and athletic identity. And um, I was the first black graduate from that program. And so it was really cool um, going through that. And I was able to kind of merge. Most people that you see that are clinicians in the sports space don't understand sport business. And having my doctoral degree be in sport and entertainment management gave me a lot of understanding of how to intertwine my clinical skill set in the sport and entertainment business, um, which kind of makes me a unicorn. You know, a lot of people go and just right. continue to get terminal degrees and just and clinical and clinical tracks, which is cool. But, you know, after I got my clinical training as a, as a clinical social worker, it wasn't really, I didn't know, need to go get a PhD in social work per se, um, right. clinical psychology. So it, it it all worked together. And that's how I got to this point, man. And you fast forward and I started working with all these different great organizations, which have just continued to further my career. And people are like, well, how's the social worker doing this? And I tell people that, you know, I am not just, you know, I'm not a regular social worker. So please do not try this at home uh, <laughs> because uh, I have a very unique skill set. And that's, and I've been really blessed, man. I, I can't even lie, man. I've been, uh, the good fortune of being in the right place at the right time. 
Absolutely. So did you come out and found your own wellness solutions and consulting right away? Or did you start working in another field or hospital or how? That yeah. Went? So, you know, it was funny. I came back home because I thought I was going to be a tenure track professor like all of us at some point mm -hmm. we, when we go through that process. And that wasn't necessarily in the cause for me. So I interviewed for a job with the Raiders and I, I didn't get it. But in the interim of me doing all of that, I had um, started working for the mayor. So when I came home after I finished my PhD, I worked with first responders. I was working with firefighters. I loved that work. I was working in an inpatient facility. And then after that, um, I had shifted to working for the mayor where I was like leading a trauma, a citywide trauma program um, that was really, you know, really a different way to apply my skill set because I was now looking at how to kind of help, you know, impact micro level systems and things like that. So um, it was it was really interesting to kind of see how my skill set shifted to that. So after I finished that, I was kind of still stringing along how I was going to get into sport. I was still trying to look. So I started initially uh, just really working with athletes, you know, in private practice. And I was working for another private practice. It was kind of grim at one point. Um, you know, because I was like kind of down on myself. I was back home. I didn't think. Yeah that, you know, this was what I was going to be doing. Um, was it supposed to be something I was supposed to be doing? You know, all of that. And during the pandemic, it gave us a lot of opportunity as practitioners to really, you know, leverage what we possess as skills to help athletes, entertainers, organizations. And I was one of those, I say, pandemic consultant babies that was birthed out of the pandemic. And my first, you know, interaction was with the Brooklyn Nets where, BSC Global, and we worked with the New York Liberty and things like that. And it was really good to support them around different things, but it was employee facing. So that was really different. You know, it was kind of like everybody want to work, work with the athletes. But the right. beautiful thing that I was employee facing just gave me so much different ex type of exposure. I kept working with athletes in private practice and not a lot. You know, any practitioner who comes in and say, oh, well, my whole private practice is with athletes in line. All right. Yeah. <laughs> you, you know that. You, you know, I know so. how that works, right. If, yeah. you, if you have 80 clients, maybe 10 of them are athletes. And, right. and the reason why people can say this because, Hippa, you can never come and see who I'm really working with. Uh, right. As, at the <laughs> Can't time, check the books. <laughs> right, right, right. You know, so at the time, I think I was just working with 10. I had only had like two former pro players, basketball players, but the rest with college or youth. And, but this was really like the first time when I got this opportunity in 2020 to work with the Brooklyn Nets, you know, it, that was the first time I, my, my mission and all of what I was visualizing over the years kind of came to fruition. And so, yeah, so out of that was Brad Kid Wellness <laughs> Solutions and Consulting. And it's been a, a whirlwind, bro. I feel like since the pandemic, I've lived 20 different lives uh, but, you know, since then, we've been able to develop an imprint, man. I work with Universal Music Group, Warner Music Group. I've worked with wow. member institutions at the NCAA, uh, the NBA currently. I've worked with, man, a lot of good, you know, people and tech companies and, and things like that. And it's, and, it's, and it's been a real big blessing to be able to do that um at that level and, and at such a fast rate. You know, some people are like, dang, you did this, you know, pretty fast, but like I said, man, I think I was just, I caught lightning in the bottle and it was in the right place at the right time. Absolutely. And that's a lot of it. You know, that's life really. Yeah. One quote, a lot of athletes say on here is uh, you stay ready. So you don't have to get ready. Yeah. Right. 
Yeah. And, you know, you could have pandemic coming and, okay, what's the world going to be? Uh, well, you know, right. my career that I worked so hard, here it goes, you know, but you pivoted and now right. set up this platform. Let's mm -hmm. talk about how your, your therapy sessions are all virtual. And that's really yeah. allowed you to be so many places at one time. <laughs> you know, I mean, the pandemic, once again, was something that, you know, kind of helped with, you know, kind of ushering. Because before the pandemic, I was a practitioner that never saw myself doing anything virtual. Mm -hmm. And I said, I'll never do anything virtual. But right. when the pandemic happened, I mean, obviously, we had to stay virtual. The virtual space allowed me to grab people that it made me more accessible. And so when I started my practice, I wanted to stay in the virtual imprint because the virtual imprint allowed me to, you know, really meet the client where they were at, but they can have accessibility to me. Um, and, and it's just been beneficial, man. I mean, it's certain populations that you can't do to me that you can't do virtual. Um, that's people that may be low functioning autism, nonverbal, um, I think. That's a space. Very young children, I think, it's really difficult to increase someone's executive functioning virtual. Um, and there's other clients, potential clients that just don't want to be seen virtually, and they need kind of textile. They need to touch, um, you know. But it's been really beneficial, man, to be able to provide clients with, you know, their own flexibility. You know, they they could go off from a meeting and hop on, you know, and. Hey, you know, Doc, I'm gonna hop on at two after my one o'clock meeting. I'm gonna hop on at lunch, or whatever the case may be. So it's been really beneficial, I think. Yeah, no, that's excellent. I mean, especially with gas prices, and you know, you don't have to travel across town right. and get stuck in traffic or whatever. You know, right. be on vacation, right. still right. have your sessions. So that's awesome. Right. Right. And right. talk about. I mean, you you went through a whole all star list of clients that you're working with. Yeah. Um, and I'm sure they didn't just all show up on day one, knocking on the door. Hey, Victor Kidd, I hear that you offer services. Um, talk about how you kind of leverage your relationships to build those or leverage connections to build those relationships with these companies. The Sabre training bat is like no other training bat you've ever used before. So the purpose of the Sabre training bat with its modified barrel is so that you can perfectly sequence and get behind the ball, getting the bat on plane sooner, creating less miss hits, more line drives, higher batting averages, and more exit velocity. The Sabre training bat is the number one training bat on the market. Sabre bats, the training bat that's gonna take you to your best swing. I think the big the biggest thing is one be yourself like a lot of people say that but i'm literally myself i, I i'm not doing any code switching or performative behavior and i think people love that i'm very genuine and that i'm very uh, passionate about what i do i genuinely love what i do a lot of people don't um uh, they they say they love what they do but it, it may right. not come out in, in their behavior i'm someone who generally gets excited about trainings, workshops, interacting with individuals, touching individuals in ways that, you know, from a broad standpoint um, in regards to getting a lot of this information that can be very jargony out so people can digest it and understand, you know, how mental health and wellness really impacts them, all of the above. 
Um, so the way the first I think how I leverage is people respect that I'm a very genuine person. Um, and, and the next thing, you know, when you do good work, you know, people want to, you know, expose you to other individuals who may appreciate your good work. So um, I've been able to kind of leverage my my positionality and the work that I've done to other relationships by one showing up and being my authentic self, which could be kind of cliche, um, but really, you know, showing up and being genuine about who I am. And then the second thing is making sure that I do good work that it lends to other individuals vouching for me and the, the work that I do um, with other organizations. And, you know, for anybody aspiring to do this type of work is that you just, you know, you, it's about relationship building. It's not about getting a consultant contract. It's about relationship building. And, you know, as long as you relationship build in a healthy way, I think that will lead to more options. Yeah, I agree with that 100%. Uh, talk to us about, you know, diversity, equity, and inclusion. That's kind of a catch term that's being used more and more now, but really define for us what that means and what it entails. Uh, you know, diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging now, which has to be really included, is, is a really loaded term. Um, and it means so many different things, but, you know, diversity, I would say, uh, means that, you know, there is a presence of, you know, different people from different backgrounds, right, in a space, you know, um, equity is uh, equitable experiences to advance, right, you know, and equity is really taking an assessment of individuals and who needs more uh, to be, you know, to be on an even playing field with different counterparts, right? An equitable piece, uh, early in the pandemic, a meme was going around with like equity was like one person standing on this ladder. Uh, yeah, yeah. And, and, you know, so equity is actually access in a lot of these spaces. You know, how does these diverse groups have access, access to certain things? And then inclusion is really having your voice at the table and feeling like you are a part of through whatever uh, type of mediums that may be occurring and belonging facilitate all of those things facilitate someone's belonging someone's feeling like they're invested in you know the institution where they may work you know the communities things of that nature so when you think about it you know diversity is just presence right we're there equity is access right inclusion is feeling like um, your voice has been heard and things have been applied um, that lead to more equitable equitable opportunities whether and whatever space sport entertainment business whatever the case may be and belonging that is a genuine sense that this is where you're supposed to be and that the steps have been taken for you to feel like that within your professional space or wherever. Yeah, I think those were some very clear cut definitions for yeah. some very vague terms, right? Yeah. Right, right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. And it's, always important, of... it's always important to operationalize them, you know what I'm saying? So Yeah, no, I like that. I like that. And that's part of the work that you're doing with the NBA, correct? It's, it's some of the work that I'm doing. I'm doing a lot more mental health stuff now. Um, a lot of my stuff is DIB adjacent because now when I very first started, my stuff was like racial trauma trainings and things like that. And now, you know, I do, I do a lot of that work in conjunction with mental health and wellness because I think they're so aligned. Um, and when we think about cultivating healthier workplaces for individuals post-pandemic, you know, the DEI work and also, you know, mental health and wellness have to be kind of simultaneously, um, you know, connected. So, you know, I think I'm doing the work sometimes, like sometimes, you know, planning is centered around DEI initiatives and sometimes it's more core line to mental health and wellness. 
but we always talk about the differences and the variance of experience based on that, right? Culturally responsible, culturally comprehensive approaches to discussing some of these things is something that we strive for at Kid Wellness. Absolutely. So who is an ideal patient for you? If you know people are listening and they say, man, he's virtual, I think I want him to be my <laughs> practitioner. So who are you looking for in your practice? Um, ideal would be uh, someone who is private pay, because <laughs> <laughs> right. I take insurance. Yeah. Um, someone uh, that's really ideal is either, you know, I, I do really well with black males, work really, you know, it's really a beautiful thing coming out of the pandemic that I get a lot of calls to work with black males. Uh, so black males, athletes, first responders, um, C-suite, D-level executives, um, you know, and entertainers. I really like the people that I really focus on. Um, I really, my, my, what's a really driver for what I, real driver for what I do, and I'm trying to find different iterations to support, is actually young black male adolescents to young emerging adults has been uh, a space. And I think it's because I'm a former football player and former coach, and um, I'm able to, I'm, kind, I'm 33, so I'm in that space where I'm not old enough to be their dad, but I'm not young enough to be their peer. I'm able to kind of empathize with them and still kind of, you know, understand who Juice World is or who all these other different characters are that they like. Um, I'm still playing the video games, still in the sneakers and things like that. So um, I hold a real good, you know, space right there where I'm a very uh, polyable, you know, therapist for that group. Um, and so as I start to work with more entertainers and more artists and more other individuals, um, you know, I've been trying to find different ways, whether it's a black male support group, things like that, um, or clinical group to support black males, young black males as they navigate high school, going into college and, and things like that. So, so yeah, man, black males, athletes, entertainers, I'm a trauma trained clinician. So, you know, first responders is always going to be near and dear to my heart. Um, and, you know, like I said, C-suite level, D, D, D level uh, executives, particularly black males, a lot of black males, I have a few black males that are in that space um, that are C-suite level leaders who need support in a whole bunch of different things, whether it's from just general wellness to performance, all those different things, considering other things, how to increase their ability um, to be better. So all those different things kind of go into it. Absolutely. So, yeah, I love the way you broke that down. And as we all know that uh, mental health, especially just speaking from a cultural standpoint, the way we were raised many times as black males is to be strong, to be tough. And that means to not be vulnerable, right? Um, and to many times holding your feelings or be private about your feelings. But right. we really have to try to almost reverse, it's a curse, reverse that curse. And I think the work right. that you're doing is definitely leading down that path. Sweet, so, sweet. That's great. Yeah. yeah. So uh, time out with the sports doctor, this is your final timeout. So we're just going to kind of continue on that path of, breaking the curse. So mm -hmm. speak to um, the difference between mental toughness, where you say mental toughness, oh, I can, as an athlete, especially as an athlete, which is dangerous, I can push through injury, I can push through whatever. But many times when you're struggling, depression, addiction, alcoholism, or whatever, pushing through only makes that hole deeper, right. or makes the addiction stronger. So right. speak to, you know, kind of the mental toughness, but how it's really been vulnerable enough to connect with someone or, or discuss what you're hurting with. You know, it's, it's funny. I'm close. Shout out to my man, Dr. Alex out uh, with the Toronto Raptors. I've grown close with him and follow a lot of his tweets. And 
we have some very strong conversations around performance and wellness. And, and um, I just really glean a lot from him in regards to that, because trying to navigate that dynamic as an athlete per se, or even an entertainer or a creative on um, pushing through or occupational athlete, like a first responder. Uh, I think good balance is that we have to understand that um, when pushing through becomes dysfunctional or comes maladaptive to your general wellness or to your overall well-being, then then it's problematic, right? Um, I think there's a space for mental toughness, growth mindset versus fixed mindset, um, pushing through, being resilient. But a lot of times what we do is we mistaken all of that to allow ourselves to be open to abuse or to trauma, right? Or it traumatizes ourselves. So whenever the difference is, whenever mental tough, mental toughness is no longer mental toughness when it is at the detriment of your well-being, right? Or is at the detriment of um, your emotional and, and mental uh, uh, regulation, right? When we experience dysregulation from trying to push through, right? Unhealthy coping mechanisms, unhealthy social behaviors, all those different things. So that's the biggest thing, the difference between it. You know, mental toughness in its healthiest sense is right. It's, it's, it's going to shoot you through something that you may be experiencing, maybe some youth stress, but you got a new task and your sport, a new task at your job or a new task with your craft. And this new challenge bring forth this mental toughness because you want to achieve that goal, right? Coming out of youth stress. But when we have, when we're trying to use mental toughness, when we're experiencing distress, which is also the negative stressful anxiety or, or depression or whatever the case might be dysfunction right it could it could work against us and not be of a benefit so just kind of recognize yeah thank you for that um because that's definitely something that we have to realize that if you hold things in many times you know it can kill you the stress can kill you um the addiction the drugs the oh, depression yeah. can kill you Oh, yeah. And the best way to combat that is by connecting with others, connecting with groups, connecting with a, a therapist, connecting with a pastor or family members, whoever you can trust or be vulnerable around or accountability partners, you have to be connected with someone. Don't make yourself an island when you're struggling. Right. All right. Well, hey, thank you for sharing with us. Tell yeah. the audience how you know people can connect with you and how they can follow you on social media, et cetera. Yeah, follow me on Twitter at the real Dr. Kid, T-H-E, real Dr. Kid, K-I-D-D, that's two Ds. You can find me on LinkedIn, Victor Kid. You can hit me up, 202-701-8922. You can also email me at vkid at k-w-s-c-o-n-s-u-l-t-i-n-g.org, k-w-s-consulting.org. Got to spell that out because it's long. <laughs> Look, they didn't have any other URLs when I was creating. Yeah, this. Right, yeah I so, got you. Uh, so, yeah, so you can have that information. If you ever need anything, please reach out. Uh, I look forward to hearing from you. Absolutely. We'll definitely include that all in the show notes. Yeah, hey, sure. once again, I appreciate you and the work that you're doing. Amen. Thank you for continuing to support this podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, then please leave a five-star review. And if you haven't done so, subscribe so you continue to get the updated episodes. Until later, peace. Hey, time out with the sports doc. Keep our head right in the game. We ain't never stopping. You are now tuned in. Trust, you don't want to miss. This is where life, sports, and medicine is.